0: This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand, excited to be with you today. Got a lot coming up in just a little bit. I'll talk to Jerry Zagoda, who covers Minnesota United for the Star Tribune, for some soccer talk. I'll try to figure out how the Timberwolves can make a trade for John Collins of the Atlanta Hawks. He is my latest obsession with how to improve that team and a player who has been linked to them in trade discussions. But first, what did I miss? There's was a lot going on, um, in the news in the last, you know, 12 to 24 hours. Biggest thing, I think news-wise, Dak Prescott signs a long-term contract extension with the Cowboys. And so here you go. Um, another quarterback off the board. This was kind of an expected move, I guess. They were at least going to put the franchise tag on Prescott, uh, with the deadline for that coming uh, Tuesday, today. But, uh, they signed him to a long, long term deal. Average value of that thing, very expensive, $40 million. So, what does that mean for some other um, quarterbacks in your life? Well, one thing it means is nobody else is going to get Dak Prescott, obviously. So, he's off the board, right? So, in this kind of off season of volatility in the quarterback market, no Dak Prescott. So, you know, if you see the Russell Wilson rumors, It's been talked about maybe going to the Cowboys. Well, that obviously isn't happening because Dak Prescott gets a huge contract and gets a no-trade clause as part of that. What else it means? Well, it means that Kirk Cousins slides down again on the uh, quarterback contract uh, chart, as it were. He's now the seventh highest-paid quarterback in the NFL in terms of average value. Dak Prescott coming in at $40 million now uh, slides in well ahead of Kirk Cousins. Cousins now at $33 million per season after that extension he signed uh, a a couple years back. So, you know, does that feel about right? Um, I don't know. If you you look only at pro football-focused grades, which isn't exactly where you should only look, um, you'll see that Kirk Cousins has been a top 10 quarterback the last couple seasons. Has that been reflected in how the Vikings have performed throughout the length of his contract? How's, has that been reflected in how he has played in a lot of clutch situations? Not necessarily. And is there enough of a gap between the $33 million that he makes? And I mean, look at Aaron Rodgers, barely makes more than that, $33.5 million. Maybe that's why he wants a new deal. You can see a lot of other quarterbacks getting new deals, but I guess the the bigger point stands that even if in terms of where he relatively stands in the quarterback market, it doesn't seem too outrageous. When you're paying a quarterback that much, you expect a certain level of play, especially in the fourth quarter and beyond. That's going to be expected of Dak Prescott now, and it has been expected of Kirk Cousins uh, in these last three years under his larger contract with the Vikings. I don't know if he's lived up to that piece of it. He still could. Um, but, you know, big picture wise, I guess, you could make the argument that Kirk Cousins is about where he belongs salary-wise for where he has performed uh, for the Minnesota Vikings. You also possibly missed a big, wild victory, 2-0 over Vegas on Monday night, back at home at XL Energy Center. Huge game for a rookie with the initials KK. Yeah, of course, I'm talking about Kapo Kakinen, not Kirill Kaprizov, a shutout for the goalie. That's seven wins in a row. For Kapo Kakinen, a guy that I've liked ever since watching him light it up in the minors a couple of years ago for the Wild, thinking, why isn't this guy getting a longer look here? You know, especially as uh, you know, Devin Dubnik struggled the last couple of years. Nevertheless, he is here now and playing really well. And I tweeted last night, um, you know, Kapo is the Wild's number one goalie. Changed my mind. I don't know if we're quite there yet, but he's certainly playing. Like a number one, uh, especially during this streak—that's seven wins in a row. I'm reading now from Sarah McClellan's game story uh, during that streak, he has stopped 178 of 188 shots. So that's about a 95 save percentage and a 1.47 goals against average. He is in the top ten in a lot of different categories with uh, overall this season, not just uh, you know not just during this streak. So. That's some pretty impressive stuff from this wild goalie, and a big time for him to put that together, right? Because they're playing Vegas again. We talked about this on the podcast a couple times. That was the team where it fell apart a little bit last week, right? The the, the Zach Parisi game where he, you know, they give up the the late goal, they they lose five one when he gets benched. They play better against Arizona on Friday, but then they lose Saturday. This is a big one, right? They're, they're trying to keep pace with with Vegas in the standings. And they, they they don't have to do a, you know they have to do like a five four win they don't have to keep up with goals they get a a goalie delivering a shutout performance in a very important game so that says to me that this goalie Kapo is ready to emerge as perhaps their their number one option you know and it's something to keep an eye on they they've, the Wild has thrived in some seasons when they've had no clear number one goalie where they've had two really good ones you know you think back to the you know think back to the Manny Fernandez days with Dwayne Rollison. you think back to you know uh, you look back to like the 2007 season Nicholas Backstrom and Manny Fernandez were still splitting a lot of games but eventually you know someone steps forward and becomes that number one guy I feel like Kakanen's got that in his game Um, that's a lot to put on a rookie this early in his career so we'll see how that evolves but big win for the Wild on Monday night and a huge performance by their rookie goaltender. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to be joined right now by Jerry Zagoda. He covers Minnesota United for the Star Tribune. It does a really good job of it. Follow his stuff, Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. Loon season kind of getting underway here with some uh, some training sessions. I think they go down to Florida in a couple of weeks and then start the regular season in April, towards the end of that month. Uh, Jerry, welcome to Daily Delivery. How are you doing today? I'm
1: good. How are you, Mike?
0: I'm good. Thanks for asking. We got some uh, some sunshine here in the last few days. It's not quite like Florida, but it uh, does feel good to, to be outside right now. And uh, hopefully, there hopefully Minnesota United feels the same way, able to to do some of that here uh, as opposed to uh, you know being in the freezing cold at least.
1: Maybe some of the snow, snow will melt, and they'll actually get out onto the outdoor pitch.
0: Maybe we'll have to see. But uh, I, you know, I read uh, I read your uh, Q and A with. Um, Hadrian Heath, uh, I think that ran in Monday's paper and on com. A lot of things of interest with this team, especially coming off of last season, the very near miss. I mean, in case anybody wasn't paying enough as much attention, you know, obviously that last year was a weird year in sports. The Loons were basically minutes away from playing in the MLS Cup final. They had a 2-0 lead in the 75th minute. They had a 2-1 lead still in the 89th minute, End up falling three to two and coming up a little bit short, I guess you, you talked to Adrian Heath about a lot of different things. The first thing I got a link, I got a sense that this is still lingered with him for a while, just the, how close they got. And, you know, knowing that it's hard to get back to that point, what, what was your takeaway from, from that aspect of things with him and just kind of getting that, you know, that, that taste out of his mouth in this offseason.
1: Yeah, you could tell it. So he said it took him about a week before he went back and watched it. And, uh, you know, they actually came within a minute of it. They were still still up two one in the 89th minute and they surrendered two goals in four minutes, including stoppage time. And, uh, you know, you could feel the, the, the momentum change. I mean, they were kind of not lucky, but they were fortunate to be up two nothing. But then you could feel the, the Sounders made some subs and uh, they started to get some momentum. And uh, then they score in the 75th minute. You go, oh, geez, can they just hang on these last? 15 minutes, and he's convinced that if they'd had those two extra days, they had moved their game. Um, Seattle had played on a Tuesday, their, their conference semifinal, Western semifinal, and the Loons were supposed to play Tuesday or Wednesday, I believe, and got moved to a Thursday so that they could go live on Fox because Fox had that problem with one of the NFL games being canceled. So the MLS saw this this chance to go on their big network and put uh, – Kansas City and uh, and the loons and that and they gave them two less days than than Seattle and he thought you know in retrospect he goes you know no ifs and buts we we didn't win but uh, he thought that they could get the team built back up in those uh, next two days and that would have made a difference you know whether that's just the coach you know saying that or whether it's true who knows but uh, that's that that was a story and he was sticking with it
0: when a team gets that close we tend to assume that they will be They can be right back into that mix the next year, but it's not always that easy. You kind of forget about, you know, some, like you said, some, maybe some breaks or some, you know, emergencies, the emergencies they had along the way, um, as you assess this roster going into 2021. And as Adrian Heath assesses it, where, where, where are the strengths and where do they still need to, to figure some things out?
1: Well, the strengths are it starts with uh, Emmanuel Reynoso from the beginning of training camp instead of coming in in September. So that's that's a, a big difference, but they still have some glaring needs. You know, they lost Kevin Molino. He, he signed with Columbus uh, after 10 years with, uh, with Adrian. And, um, you know, they've got, uh, they've got a spot on the left side to, to fill with um, a Molino, and they've got uh, Reynoso, and they still really – they signed Juan Aguadelo uh, last week who will give them some depth at striker but they still need to go out and get a um, uh, um, main striker they, they, that's what they still lack maybe two of them but they're in position to get a, another designated player they could create one in a couple different ways so they go out spend some money get a pr- pretty big uh, signing for them that's what they really need to do here uh in the q a adrian said you know we need to go out and sign two guys that left side attacker for molino and uh And a striker to give the tools to to Reynoso to to play make with. And they need to do it soon, you know, before you get to the start of the season. There's always, you know, the the timing of these transfer windows. Sometimes, like Reynoso, things they were working on at one point, eight months later, they come to fruition. You know, there's still stuff, I guess, that they could be, that they're talking about that could come to happen in the summer signing transfer, but they really need to do a couple moves here before we get to the start of the season, April 17th
0: or 18th. Yeah, it does sound like they've, they've you know, Renoso. It does start with him, and you see when you start from that base with the guy who was emerging, kind of as a as the next star in this market. And we we shouldn't forget about him, even as we have, you know, Kareel, Kaprizov, Mania with the uh, with with the Wild, and we've watched some other you know young players emerge. I mean, this guy was so good um i think you asked adrian heath if he can be even better and he, he made it sound like i don't know i'd be i I that'd be great if he was but man, he was he was awfully good already um you know so when you start from there I, I, you know how how much easier does it get i guess to fill in around him
1: yeah the question is not only you know uh, uh, in the market here he, you know he could be if he continues this through a whole season you know one of these stars of mls, MLS then i asked adrian you know are, are do fans have to worry that you're not going to be able to keep them for all four years of this contract is saying them to? And he goes, and we're trying to build a champ. you know, no, 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 no. We're trying to build a championships team. You don't get rid of your best players, but at some point, you know, that's what the MLS is becoming. They're starting to become a, a league that uh, is developing players and then moving them on mostly to Europe, you know, selling them for a good price. And that's how the economics, the price of milk, how uh, this league is starting to work now. So, um, but no doubt, Gifted. I mean, I don't. I can't remember the exact number. I should know that off the top of my head. But consecutive multi-assist games he had down the stretch last year, and you can just tell he's he, the guy sees the, the the field, and you can tell that's a different class of play coming from first division Boca uh, Boca Juniors and in, in South America to the typical guy that the balloons have signed in their history.
0: You get the sense that they're confident they're going to be able to fill in those kind of major roster gaps. I mean, you said they're he said they're in negotiations, but those don't always come to fruition do you what's 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 your confidence level based on what uh, what you got the sense from adrian on on the you know on the on the major signings front
1: well he said this is i talked to him last week for the q a he said you know two, they had two that had come really close and then just didn't materialize so you're always going through that i mean their history they they the last couple uh, several transfer windows they've gone out and done things now Renault, so it took a little while that may be the case here that maybe you don't get that striker that's probably why they signed the 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 MLS veteran striker um, last week, just, you know, in case they needed him to get them through maybe to the summer transfer period. But I would expect them to try mightily to, to get certainly a striker and probably that left side attacker in two. Um, while they still got some training time here, get some, uh, he, he seemed to make a point, you know, you need to, some, to integrate those guys with Reynoso and give them a chance to work together. Hard to do it last year like they did, but with some great success, you know, when they brought him in end of August, beginning of September, but they much prefer, you know, to get uh, the guys on the grass, uh, certainly sometime in Florida, you know, they're going to be down there for two weeks, playing four or five games, get that uh, and then just get guys to know with each other. Cause it's always hard to bring them in. And, you know, in the middle of July, you saw that a year ago with Robin Ludd, you know, he people were ready to say, what kind of terrible signing is this? Cause he just came in, didn't have a uh, off season from his season. And uh, you know, wasn't productive and then the next year last year you could you saw what you what he could do and now let's see if they keep him on that right side even further what more he can do this year
0: you got expectations raised this year i know they made the the playoffs two years ago got you know eliminated right away by los angeles but when you when you make a run like that even in a you know a, a shortened season as it was you, you raise expectations do you do you get the sense that they understand that that they're kind of striving to kind of meet that moment both in in the league and in the marketplace
1: well if they are adrian's raising them because he basically said you know my goal is each transfer window to improve and where you look at where we were last year there isn't much place to go other than to win something so you know does that mean win the western conference final does i mean mls Cup. as you said it's hard to get back circumstances sometimes you may not get back there a lot of times you know from doing this for 30 years teams uh that don't have a history you know will make a big push run and get to a certain level get almost there and then the next year people expect them to go further and they, there's almost like the step back that's needed you know that they, they don't do quite as well and then the next season after that they kind of become what they become I've, I've seen that happen in the nba a lot uh, i don't know the mls league well enough to know if that's a phenomenon that happens there too but a lot of times that happens the team makes Push, they kind of come out of nowhere. They get the final next year. People think, oh, they're going to take the next step. And they kind of, they, they go backwards. And then when they finally figured out, you know, what this is all about and what it takes to play at that level, then that next year they, they make a leap. So we'll see, you know, if they didn't get back this year, certainly wouldn't surprise me. That was, that's a tough thing to do any year. But uh, I guess all that depends on what moves they make here and what help they can give. They've, they've made a lot of moves to kind of put little surrounding pieces around to make themselves better. But they still have the two kind of major moves yet to make.
0: We've talked a lot, like we said, about the the kind of bigger names. Who's kind of on the I don't know, let's say the fringes, but maybe some some players who are younger, maybe looking for their chance to emerge this year. Give me who's like two or three names to maybe watch as you know maybe weren't huge contributors last year, but could push for more time and more of that spotlight in twenty twenty one.
1: Hmm, that's a good question. I know. Um. Uh. I know who it won't be. It won't be Thomas Chacon, who <laughs> was the, their big signing two years ago, and was 19 and just hasn't found his place. Looked awfully small, and they're they're working a deal to get him back to play uh, on loan in, in Uruguay. I guess the one guy maybe is a guy like Jacory Hayes, who so, you saw take a, a role last year. He's back. They lost Raheem Edwards in this uh, re-entry draft uh, to LAFC, so they don't have him. But uh, Ja'Core, they used him, plugged him in a lot of different ways. A lot of the moves they made uh, this year was to kind of add some veterans. Not, I mean, not not in every case old guys, but, you know, the first move they went out, first couple of days of free agency, and signed Will Trapp, who people you know might think is like 35 because he's been around forever. He was on the U.S. national team, played years in Columbus, but he's only 28. So he's the kind of guy. They went out and got a guy, Yuka Ratala, I'll try his name, a Finnish teammate of Robin Lubs who's a little bit older. I think he's 31, 32, but they got him to give a little competition to Chase Gasper on the on the left hand side um, of the younger guys. You know, you might not see a lot this year, but you may see them elsewhere. So, you know, you, you got guys like uh, Dane St. Clair and Hassan um, Johnson and, and uh, Callum Montgomery, a new guy they signed who might end up playing for their respective either U.S. or Canada Olympic teams. So you got those guys who may like Hassani's in camp now for Olympic, uh, qualifying in Mexico. You know, if, if he would make the Tokyo team, you know, you wouldn't see him for a number of weeks and the other two guys play for the Canadian team, you wouldn't see them either. And then in the summer, you got the year. So you got blood and Ratala and, uh, Jan Gregus, who are going to be gone. So, you know, they, their depth, which they've really kind of cultivated the last couple of years, they're really going to need in a year like this, because the schedule is going to be condensed to begin with anyways. Uh, Because usually by now we'd be into uh, what probably the second or third week of the MLS season. They'd already have training, and they're still just going to to camp because of the elongated season last year. So um, even though they're going to play again MLS Cup into December, it's still going to be a lot of of Saturday, Wednesday games, and you're going to need everybody, as Adrian says.
0: A couple more things for you, then we'll finish up. Good stuff here from Jerry Zagoda on Minnesota United. Can they play four goalkeepers at the same time? Because it seems like that's a, that's a position they seem pretty well stocked up at.
1: Yeah, as, as Adrian says, we got him young. We got him, ex- well, he didn't say old, experienced. You know, you got. that'll be an interesting thing to watch with Tyler Miller back from uh, his two hip surgeries. Uh, Dane St. Clair, you know, you, you could see why they spent the seventh overall pick on him a couple of years in the draft. Now, whether he ends up playing for uh, Canada, that that may solve some of their problems, you know, in, in July and uh in, in the qualifying period, but, uh, you know, can you keep both those two happy? And Adrian kind of just said, yeah, of, of course you can. So we'll see how that plays out. He said, no decisions have been made, though, you know, if when they're both here, you know, let them kind of slug it out, I guess. But, uh, and then they signed the, the uh, third backup goalie, veterans, and Dejas last year that they brought back. And then he got the, uh, maybe he's 17 now, he was 16. He's, I know his birthday's somewhere around here. Fred Emmings, the guy, the, the homegrown player, First one they signed a year ago, who they say has grown even more in the year since they signed him last year, and he was like six five, I think then. So who knows how tall he is now?
0: Last thing I know, you know, last season there was no in-person attendance at United Games. What, where are they at in terms of that thinking? Obviously, you know, Allianz is an outdoor outdoor space you've got the twins talking about getting a return to at least some limited attendance starting in April do you know where their where their thought process is on on that is at the start and as the season goes along
1: well I know they've been in communication with all the pro sports teams but I think even a little more so with the twins I mean it all depends on the governor's office it's still what 250 people I think is the limit they you know they had family and friends to that number uh late last year in the season but um you know, I, I know they're hopeful. I don't think they have, a, maybe they have a number in mind in their head, but they're not saying publicly what, the, what that is. And I don't know if they give um, a plan that says this is what it would look like if we allowed 3,000 fans, if we allowed 5,000 fans. But I know they're hopeful as the season goes on that they're going to get fans back. in. But, uh, you know, all, all of, it depends is on the state and the health department and the governor's office guidance and recommendation.
0: Well, great stuff Jerry. We'll be uh, we'll be in touch for sure on this uh on this podcast as the season gets closer to starting next month and certainly as uh, as we see how they uh, how they fare in 2021. Jerry, thanks for joining me today on Daily Delivery.
1: Thanks for, thanks a lot, Mike.
0: When you hear that sound, and it's been a little while since you heard that sound, it is because I feel like a trade machine. That uh, that jingle again, courtesy of Trevor Wogan at Jazz Ghost on Twitter. Love uh, love that. Love being able to to play that every time. I feel like a trade machine. So here we go. Uh, my latest obsession uh, last week. The Athletic had a report that the Wolves are exploring the power forward market. Uh, two names at the top of that list uh Orlando's Aaron Gordon, Atlanta's John Collins. Aaron Gordon maybe more the household name, but John Collins is the guy that I really want the Wolves to be after. Even you know beggars can't be choosers. The Wolves are seven and twenty-nine. They clearly have roster issues. They clearly can use help at power forward, but Collins seems to me like the better target, the better overall fit. And I wrote about this a lot, uh blog post Tuesday morning. So he tur- Collins turned out a $90 million extension last offseason, so he's, he's looking for maybe a max deal. I don't know if that's his market, but he's going to be a restricted free agent after this season. Now, restricted free agency obviously is a, a nice place for the Wolves to operate. They're not going to get a lot of unrestricted free agents to come here. So the trade market plus the restricted free agent market is a way for them to bring in a player you know, before they hit free agency and then have the option to keep them and match any other offer that player gets uh, they did that with you know Malik Beasley who we'll get to again here in just a moment uh, as we work through some trade possibilities with John Collins and the Hawks now the Hawks for whatever reason maybe they don't maybe maybe they don't want to pay him that much they seem open to a deal um, they say they're not going to let him go for nothing maybe they take him all the way to restricted free agency work out a sign and trade maybe they do end up keeping him but. Seems like there's something there where he will be available uh, in a trade. So, what would that what would that take? Well, Collins is a good player, you know, capable three point shooter, right? Uh, shooting almost thirty nine percent from the from behind the arc this year, thirty seven point four for his career. So he's a good finisher. He's a good free throw shooter. He's got a lot of offensive efficiency to his game for a power forward. He's got some defense to him too, though. Uh, he ranks among the top 10 among forward slash centers in a defensive plus minus, real plus minus this season. He's, he blocked 66 shots last year in just 41 games. That number's gone down a little bit this year. Hawks kind of have some crowded, crowded marketplace there in the you know, among their power forwards and centers, so he's not getting as many rebounds and blocks as he once did, but still averaging 18 points, 7.6 rebounds and a block per game this season. For the Hawks, who have been a little bit disappointing this year, fired their coach, 16 and 20. So here's the thing: he's gonna he's gonna cost a lot, um, both in terms of what it takes to sign him in the off season, and in terms of the assets they would need to trade to get him. I was texting with ESPN front office insider Bobby Marks about this on Monday. Bobby was on the show, um, you know, last month at some point talking about you know the trade market. He said he said on Monday in our back and forth, he thinks the Wolves would struggle to come up with the assets to make a run at Collins. Fair enough, but I tried anyway. Um, Trade Machine, ESPN.com, three different possibilities. One involves Malik Beasley. You send out Malik Beasley, you send out Jaden McDaniels, who everybody loves here, and you send out your future 2024 first round pick. You get John Collins, you get Tony Snell, uh, the second piece of it to make the money work. The, the Collins trade is a little complicated because he only makes f- only makes four million dollars this year. He's still in the last year of his rookie deal, so any kind of money matching you got to add some salary to it, it usually if you're going to you know come up with equitable pieces because most of the players you're going to get back in a trade like that are going to you know have a little bit of salary attached to them. So what about that? Well, I think that's okay. You're giving up Beasley, who's been a really good player for you, but. <clears throat> You know, it's. I don't think that's a terrible price to pay to to get someone of of John Collins' stature. I don't think that's enough for the Hawks, though. Probably. Um, what about option number two? Anthony Edwards, Jake Layman, and Nas Reed for Snell and Collins. So you give up on your number one overall pick pretty early. You Jake Jake Layman, a solid veteran, and Nas Reed, a cost controlled, intriguing center who who's been a pretty efficient scorer himself uh, this season. Maybe that works, um, is, is giving up Edwards a lot, yeah, but before the draft, the Wolves were talking about maybe trading that pick. Um, if you could trade that pick for a guy who's averaged 21 points and 10 rebounds last season, would you have done that at the time? Yeah, probably, or at least maybe. Last trade, Beasley, Edwards, and Naz Reed for Tony Snell, John Collins, and Cam Reddish. I think we're getting closer to the truth here that it would probably take a couple of pretty big assets to get a player of Collins stature. Now I don't know that exactly. I don't know exactly what the market is. But if you're if you're enamored with this idea of, you know, acquiring players on the timeline of Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell, you know, Collins is only twenty three. He'll be twenty four at the start of next season. He kind of fits that timeline. You'd have to pay him a lot, but you're also sending out quite a bit of salary is that the kind of player you want to kind of go all in on the kind of player that's gettable right now and that you could re-sign as a restricted free agent i'm intrigued by it we'll see if anything comes of it but that is a that is my trade machine infatuation for the time being let's end things with the cooler now that i've just included naz reed's name in (laughs) multiple trade possibilities in that last segment i want you to go read chris Hines' story Uh, about Naz Reed. Really cool piece. Uh, Just went online Tuesday morning uh, about Naz Reed and his his relationship with his middle school art teacher and how that kind of fostered uh, a love of drawing that, that, that he carries with him still to today. He says, it's a peaceful space from basketball or everywhere else. It keeps me focused and sane and things like that. It's something that's been important to me. Um it's it's just a cool story. One of those, you know, feel good is maybe the wrong word, but it just kinda takes you behind the the behind the scenes of what some of these players are really like. I've always I've always liked dealing with Nasreed. I think he's a, a a good guy. He's, you know, been engaging in, in any media sessions I've ever been in, but this story takes it to another level. So go read that. Uh startribune dot com by Chris Hine. <clears throat> just a really cool story that uh that should brighten up your day to a, to a certain degree. That'll do it for today. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow's show should be chock full of hockey talk. Sarah McClellan expected to join me, our beat writer, as well as Marcus Fellino from the Minnesota Wild, looking at uh, some other good stuff later in the week too. So thank you for spending some time with me today, and we will catch you again on Wednesday.